0: this is episode number 61 welcome back to the neuroscience meets social and emotional learning podcast my name is andrea samadhi i'm a former educator who created this podcast to bring the most current neuroscience research along with high performing experts who've risen to the top of their field with specific strategies or ideas that you can implement immediately whether you're a teacher in the classroom a parent at home trying to figure out homeschooling and working from home, or someone working in the corporate world to take your results to the next level. We're just a month away from our one-year anniversary of when we've launched this podcast, and it's now being listened to in over 95 countries, and we're thrilled to see we've hit the top 100 charts for Apple, iTunes, education, how-to category for multiple countries. We've been hitting the charts in Canada, USA, Great Britain, Australia, Sweden, and just hit number one in Switzerland this week. So thank you, listeners. I've actually lived in three of the countries that keep showing up on these charts, and I'm so grateful for all the support that we've had all over the world. Today we have someone who I know will share some valuable and timely tips for all of us. Maria Natapov, a certified parent and caregiver coach with a specialty in trauma and neuroscience and its application. Maria teaches practical and actionable parenting techniques to caregivers that bring out the best in their child with a specialty in healing trauma and breaking its cycles. She partners with parents, teachers, and childcare professionals through individualized, targeted sessions that empower caregivers to curb their child's challenging behaviors and deeply connect while taking care of their own needs. In addition to parent coaching, she's worked as an applied behavioral analysis therapist in homes and school settings. Maria moved to the United States from Russia at age eight and is deeply sensitive to the role that cultural differences play in behavior and parenting. If you were to take the time to hear Maria's story and background, you would understand where her passion to help other parents navigate through difficult times originated, especially when trauma is involved. I've included a podcast she did on this topic that you can access through the show notes to learn more about her background. Maria founded Restorative Parent Coaching to help caregivers create nurturing environments in which adults and children can thrive. I first met Maria when she connected with me through social media and saw instantly that we had common ground with our work. The interview questions I'll be asking today came directly from an article she wrote called Five Strategies to Mitigate COVID-19 Related Anxiety and Trauma for Children. When we connected, I knew immediately that Maria's work tied into some of our past speakers. I could see her influence from Dr. Daniel Siegel's work when she mentioned that our children really need to be seen and heard during these stressful pandemic times. And also Dr. Bruce Perry's work when she speaks about the importance of adults learning how to regulate themselves in order to calm an anxious or stressed child. Welcome Maria, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your work and ideas with the community.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, Angie. I'm really excited to speak with you and thank you for the warm introduction and congratulations on the success of the podcast. It's exciting.
0: Well, oh, thank you so much for being here and, and sharing all these ideas. I think that speaking with you is timely and important right now as many of us are about two and a half months into working from home. And I know some of my friends are working uh, hybrid, so going starting to go into offices and still trying to figure out this homeschooling thing that we've got added to our plate. So how are things going over there for you um, in Massachusetts on the East Coast? What's happening?
1: Yeah. Uh, so currently, we, for the most part, have um, stay-in-place directives. And I think there is, the latest I heard is we have a four-phase um, plan that is going to be coming out, Governor Baker is phasing in um, with regard to kind of reopening various businesses. Um, I haven't heard too much on that front yet, so we'll kind of see how that plays out.
0: Exactly, and it's interesting to even imagine what schools are going to be like. I've got some friends that are superintendents in different parts of the country and even in Canada, and it's going to be interesting to see how education changes as we re-enter I was talking to a superintendent today that was talking about the fact that when we go back, how challenging it's going to be wearing masks for children because that's a possibility in some areas. So we've got so many different things to think about right now. And so some of your ideas, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some of your strategies
1: as we navigate through these times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think One of the things um, I know, obviously things are very up in the air for most of us, and it seems to be changing, you know, very, very frequently. Uh, But one of the things that kids do really well with and respond to is structure and particularly having things that feel like a bit of the usual routine, right? Because that helps to uh, decrease their anxiety and their, their worries and Um, So as much as possible, if some of that can be, you know, put into their everyday, and certainly that can look very different. So I think, you know, as caregivers too, it's important for their support, whether parents or educators, to recognize it's just a really tough time and to cut themselves some slack right? And to be able to kind of just forgive themselves and be able to just be present with that emotion. (laughs) And then once that subsides a little bit, they can start to think what would make a lot of sense. I think one of the key pieces that is so critically important and is a huge opportunity for educators right now is to really connect with the kiddos. Um, I'm fortunate to actually be on a call with um, the Rennie Center, which is um, an organization that they came out with a social-emotional learning, um, how social-emotional supports impact learning outcomes for kiddos. Um, they came out with a study four years ago, and now they have um, a-, a multi-year program that they run with districts. So there's 32 districts currently that they're working with, and I'm fortunate enough to be a part of the conversations that they're having once a week. And. Um, you know, a lot of the conversations are really about how to provide that social emotional connection, and how to keep the kids engaged. And I really think that that goes such a long way. I think, you know, where we have an opportunity to kind of slow down, rather than just being so focused on outcomes, which certainly are important, just to give ourselves that opportunity to take a breath and really acknowledge what we're living through, because it is so unusual. And it is so kind of shattering in many ways and it's important to recognize and remember that in many ways currently what we're going through with kiddos is crisis schooling which is very different than schooling be it online or you know remote learning Um, and so it's just really important to kind of hold the space for for kids and educators to recognize that and to acknowledge it in whatever way so I've, I've heard some really lovely things like Educators are reaching out with notes and sending, you know, little flower pots for kids to be able to plant and you know and and sort of like doing freeze dance type of Zoom classes with them. Just really lovely things. And I think those kinds of things are really wonderful. And they they just help to to continue to create a bit of a continuity of the regular norm that kids are are looking for and that they that they were used to, um, and I think it, it alleviates some of that um, intensity of what they must be feeling with regard to just the the utter disruption of their everyday lives. So um, so I really commend those folks because it's it's really lovely. Just like I've heard adjustment counselors playing chess with kids, just anything to stay connected with them, and I think that is really probably the key right now and and what a wonderful opportunity because I believe that normally right when we get so busy and caught up in our everyday lives that it's easy to just kind of go through I don't want to say go through the motions but to a degree right we have such structured schedules that we adhere to and there's so many expectations with regard to what we need to achieve during these specific time slots and work that has to be produced and I think now is really a great opportunity to slow down and just say wow here we are and there's this massive uh different experience we're having and we're all having it together and to just take a moment to acknowledge that and and to discuss it and to acknowledge some feelings and emotions around it and to um help to support each other how to cope with it and i think even with little kids that's a really powerful thing to do. Like, what is your favorite thing to do? What makes you feel good? Or, you know, like how do you handle that? And, um, and I think kids really also respond really well to when adults are able to speak candidly about how they're feeling. And certainly there is a need to still kind of be adults and especially with young ones to create a little bit of a barrier, right? And uh, in order to hold that safety and security for them. However, if it is a tough day, or if an adult is experiencing, you know, difficulty, or is just upset, or is is feeling stressed out to kind of name that and then model for the kiddos how to handle those emotions in a healthy manner. So I think in many ways, we have some really lovely opportunities presented to us through this time of slowing down and, you know, being able to take a step back from our typical routines of busyness, where it's easy to kind of have this this level set where we maybe um, don't tune in to some of the minute emotions that we're experiencing and to be able to kind of a little bit numb them whereas now because everything is so different everything is coming into awareness a lot more and it's a great opportunity to reassess and think what can we do differently
0: so I know how important it is that parents and caregivers stay calm and regulated because a dysregulated adult can never regulate or calm a child. And I know that my kids are watching my every move and how they see me responding to situations will be strategies and habits that they're going to use. So I'm more aware of those types of things. But what what you talked about with the blocks or the routine, and I'm trying to think of ways that now we can kind of keep in mind like how do we do this with our routine like meal times education activities play time family time all those blocks because it, it's not easy like to try to block in and then something happens like one day i was working in my office and focused on my work and they were doing something and then then the sink broke and water spraying everywhere. And, you know, it's just all these things you don't expect. Oh, okay, now I got to go fix the sink but I'm in the middle of something. And they just got to be careful of how I'm responding because they're going to watch. Oh, mom's going to either be okay and fix the sink and, and we're not in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so just how do we navigate through that and try to keep calm and keep going?
1: Because this is... Absolutely. Yeah. Months
0: now we still have to do this
1: sure I would say a great way to start the day is to do some self-care right in the beginning of the day right get yourself to zero because lives get so busy and rather than trying to just manage emotions when things come up if you give yourself that space I think that it really greatly helps to um, tune you into what's going on already and provides you an opportunity to just kind of breathe through some of that tension and you know whatever that may look like for everybody. It could be meditation, it could be yoga, it could be journaling, but really, or it could be exercising or maybe a combination of some of those. But just giving oneself the space in the morning to be able to start the day off with some self-care and some nurturing and some self kind of love and, and making intentional space for that. And then um, I find that it really sets sets you up for, uh, like I said, better being able to notice and manage some of the other things that might occur and be able to help you stay centered and flexible throughout the day. And you know, if one already has some of these routines going on, loop the kids in, even if they're young, because they love to not only feel like they are An adult because they're doing the same thing that mom and dad are doing. But in addition, you know, it's much easier to set set the groundwork and foundation for some of these tools and and learning how to work with them and implement them from a young age, right? Because if we think about it, um, learning new skills, it requires time and it requires effort. And so the more that we delay that process, the more it's just going to take Um, more kind of overcoming that inertia right in order to be able to learn how to do it like when we think of how we started walking or riding a bike like some of these even though these are incredibly powerful tools they just require some time to not only give them a chance but learn how to do them and learn how to do them properly and you know the more that we tune into ourselves the more nuanced our understanding and awareness becomes so again just in order to get optimal results I'm a strong believer like go ahead and, you know, start talking to your kids about it and start like finding little short videos or simple ways to be able to incorporate some of that. And not only that, but we're teaching them now strategies that where they can be self-reliant in managing their own stress level um, in the future, right? And being able to be flexible, but still remain grounded, which is so powerful and so important. So um, that's just one way. And then certainly when you notice, you know, you 're getting stressed, <laughs> things are not going your way for whatever reason. disengaging and, and taking a little bit of time and doing some self care and that could look like many different things It could be you know listening to some music that feels particularly calming. It could be just going outside, taking some deep breaths. It could be possibly locking yourself in the bathroom to just have a, co- a couple of moments of quiet time. Um, you know, things of that nature. I mean, maybe doing like a brief, I don't know, a brief jog or again, just a short like meditation or something of that sort as well. Um, Because it it is so important to to tend to those emotions when they come up throughout the day. And there's certainly things that happen that way. And, and again, like you said, um, kids are always watching. So every time that we take the time to do that for ourselves. We are teaching them as well how to be able to handle these difficult situations in a positive way, which is so wonderful.
0: Definitely, and I'm noticing that my girls, uh, they're a little older, they're 10 and eight, so I don't think you know a five-year-old is gonna be doing this, but they're starting to learn how to cook for themselves. So I can sit at my desk and keep working and they're making French toast for themselves. Yeah. with videos
1: nice so
0: they're using this time where I would wouldn't have had the time first of all I walked them through how to make it on their own and then now I can sit at my desk and they know how to make certain things so learning how to cook and participating in washing dishes you know learning how to do these things so that we just never had the time you know you gotta wear gloves so your hands don't get yeah. all hot and so these little things have helped
1: I love so much that you're doing that with your kiddos because kids throughout their whole, um, development, uh, which obviously, you know, is up until honestly the age of 27, because that's when our frontal lobe fully develops, um, They are looking for moments of autonomy because they're constantly trying to reassess their place in the world and their understanding and their relationship to everyone and everything in it. So having those moments where even if it is a little bit of a struggle and a little bit of a reach with some of these skills, but being able to have the space to do that and to know that mom and dad have the full confidence that they can do that, what a beautiful gift you're giving your girls, because that's exactly what kids definitely need. And it makes the process, too, of going from, you know, where they're completely dependent on you when they're first born, to then being able to successfully launch into the world when they're, you know, older and and going off to live their own lives. Um, I think it's always best when that process happens gradually. And when from even early moments, we become conscious as caregivers to give them a little bit of that space to be able to, you know, like, not just tying their shoes, but even, you know, putting on their shirt, and there are things that they might struggle with a little bit, but it's so important to allow them some of those opportunities to kind of figure it out, right, and work through those problems, and um, both on an emotional level and on a physical level, because that's how they're able to develop and learn and really stretch themselves, and it builds confidence and self-worth, which is so, so critically important, and lots of kids struggle with these days.
0: So difference in their in their attitudes and we my husband and I were talking about it because we've never really had the time to do these things and they are learning to become more independent. And you know, they made us probably the best egg sandwich we've ever had the other day. For Mother's Day, I got this incredible sandwich wrap and it was phenomenal. They've just been doing an incredible job with everything. So it's it's amazing how that works.
1: Yeah, that's really amazing, absolutely. And kids are remarkably amazing. I was gonna say, even when, um, to your earlier point when we were talking about what is helpful for self-regulation strategies. So with kiddos, um, when you notice that they're a bit dysregulated for whatever reason, um, allowing them through reflective listening, which is one of my favorite techniques and I think it's so incredibly powerful, uh, allowing them to essentially go through their emotions And just in an engaged manner, staying calm as the caregiver and giving them your undivided attention and and letting them know that you're seeing whatever the emotion is. So if it's frustration or anger, or they're just really upset or sad, whatever it is. Um, And, you know, like certainly if they are sad and they're crying, like, certainly you know, sitting closer to them and and kind of being there and providing that support, it makes a lot of sense. But if they're angry and say like kids, I know that young kids tantrum sometimes, just being able to identify and say, I see that you're really upset, I see you're really angry, or I hear that you really want whatever it might be, but giving them some space to go through that emotion uh, is so incredibly important because it allows them to process their feelings. And of course, when they're little, they, they aren't as adapted doing that as adults are because they just don't have the frame of reference and they don't have the experience. What essentially is happening when kids are going through such intense emotions, they have a lot of that intensity is happening for them inside. So they're trying to recreate it in their outside world. So if an adult was going to have a really intense response back, and if it was going to be kind of, you know, negative in the form of don't do that or stop it or I said no, I said enough, anything like that. It essentially is creates like a hit for the brain. So it's almost strengthening that neural pathway versus if they were going to remain really, really calm and you know, I don't want to say completely ignore, but as long as it's safe to do so, sort of really, you know, deflate the the response that they're giving to that versus maybe have a more intense response when the child is doing something really good, then that helps to set them up for a really much more positive direction, right? So through through the same uh, neuroscience, you know, principles, we're now shaping their behavior to help them to manage and maneuver through these really difficult times. And and with time, I mean, you'll see it after a certain amount of time if you just let the kid go through those intense emotions they're going to shift gears because they're just going to get over it and they're going to figure it out and they're going to find another way you know if if there are things like a you know piece of paper and a pen available and you can redirect them or just give them another opportunity to like maybe at first show how angry they are by writing on that piece of paper and then eventually as they calm down you'll notice that they are starting to draw like certainly um, you know, give them those opportunities. But usually, they just need to see that the parent is engaged and is aware and is noticing how they're feeling. And that goes such a long way towards calming them down.
0: Absolutely, definitely. And one of the most powerful discoveries that, that I've seen from Michael McKnight and Dr. Lori Desetel that mm-hmm. I know, you, you know, their work very well, They did episode number 16 together with us, and it centers around the impact that stress has on the children and their learning. And when Mm -hmm. kids are stressed, overwhelmed and anxious, it might come out as a power struggle or an argument, not listening, worried or anxious. Like when we see all those behaviors, we don't realize what's behind it. Mm -hmm. And when we're stressed as parents or as an educator, Mm -hmm. it raises our cortisol and it's a never ending cycle. So what are some techniques that you've seen working well for, you know, we, we talked a little bit about some like getting out and calming ourselves down, but um, what other ideas do you have just to keep us moving forward?
1: Absolutely. So um, the first thing is once we name our emotion, um, it actually loses a lot of its power over us. So allowing ourselves to to literally name it, Um, and call it out, um, you will usually see the intensity of it subside. And the other thing is um, allowing yourselves to feel the emotion. A lot of times if we repress it because we, you know, we feel it's not the time or we just don't want to go there or whatever it might be, it builds up stronger and stronger. And so it's going to explode and erupt and it's going to be a lot worse uh, when we, when it finally does uh, rather than if we just allow ourselves a few moments to feel it and then be able to breathe through and kind of move, move through it. Um, essentially allow it to wash over us and, and do, its, do its thing. Kind of like thinking of it like the ocean, right? Like what the ocean waves. I mean, if we try to suppress a wave, it's not going to be good. But if we allow it to wash over, eventually it goes by and it subsides And that sort of idea. The other thing with kiddos that's really great and an opportunity is um, an emotion thermometer so that they can start to understand what that means and they can start to notice and identify where are they at, right? Is everything really, really calm and peaceful or are they starting to notice that upticking? They're a little bit like in that zone um, versus when things are intense and they either need a break or maybe they need, um, you know, maybe they have like a little toolkit that, you know, I know some classrooms have that and sometimes kids individually have their own little kind of toolkit of things that help them to calm down. Uh, maybe it's a favorite toy, maybe it's some sort of a sensory thing that just helps them to calm down. Maybe it's, um, you know, a favorite, like something that plays music or something like that. So anything like that is, is a really great um, uh, tool for, for kiddos. And uh, the other thing for adults, and they can certainly start to teach this to the kiddos too, is there's a technique called five, four, three, two, one. That's really powerful. Just heard that one recently. Yeah. So five is name five things that you see. Uh, Four, name four things that you feel. Three, name three things that you hear to name two things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste and the reason it's so powerful is it requires more of your concentration so as you go through them all you'll notice yourself start to kind of slow down and also helps to get really present with your current environment because a lot of times right for anything that feels traumatic and really the definition of traumatic is anything that feels overwhelming to the senses and anything that you know, it's difficult for us to stay regulated and, and feel safe uh, while it's happening to us. So um, that is oftentimes held in the body and we have very physical response to trauma. So something like this technique helps us to get into the present moment and recognize that there is not an immediate threat and an immediate danger for us. So it's an extremely powerful technique with, you know, kiddos who have intense emotions, anybody who's been through PTSD, and it's a really quick one that any, any one of us can use at any moment in time that does not require for us to disengage and walk away. Because I know educators sometimes don't have that opportunity. So that's a really great one.
0: Oh, those are powerful. Um, when you were speaking earlier, you mentioned the importance of our children feeling seen and heard. And when they're younger, they look to us as their parents as their superhero can you explain the need that our children have with their parents when they're younger and how the need changes
1: as they become teenagers and they start pushing away from us? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I would say that basically they certainly do think of their parents as their superhero. they always, always want affirmation from them. They want to be, um, you know, recognized and praised by them and they always want to impress them. And, you know, they, they always look for, um, those signs right and the signs of attention and all of that and um it's easy for us i think culturally we tend to think that it's acceptable for kids to like for you know it's just due to hormones when they're teenagers and that's why they're always on their tablet and they want nothing to do with parents and i think actually just that notion of accepting it is kind of making it a little bit worse to be honest because they very much still want that affirmation and even the, the, the help with regulation. Um, So cuddling and hugging and physical touch is a really huge um, way to, to regulate and some positive hormones throughout our body. That's a very quick thing. Oftentimes when we're feeling stressed or overwhelmed or just are having a bad day, that's a really effective way to kind of shift our mood. That's why, you know, the notion of can I have a hug or would you like a hug (laughs) is so effective and and we know it and we talk about it a lot. Um, and, And it very much is, is true. And so I think it's easy to forget that because teenagers are developing quicker and they're growing up taller. And I think we just assume that they're adults because, you know, the further that we ourselves get away from that kind of phase in our lives, it's easy to forget the things that we did or did not know at that moment in time. But the truth is they they very much are still in need of guidance and that affirmation and that nurture. And that doesn't go away just because they're 14. As I mentioned earlier, the prefrontal uh, cortex does not develop fully until the age of 27. And that is where all of our executing functioning is. That's where our emotional regulation is. That's where our kind of planning and all of the Um, strategic thinking is. So uh, it it is, they are still very much reliant and looking for their caregivers to guide them Mm -hmm. in many of these things, but they also are starting to feel that they have an identity and are having their own thoughts, um, certainly in feelings and emotions, as we know. Mm -hmm. And um, it's important to approach them the right way, which is, you know, we're always just, I think all of us really respond well to mutual respect so as long as we're coming at it from a perspective of kind of checking in, not being preachy, um, being careful to to not talk at them, um, even though certainly it can be difficult at times because <laughs> maybe what we're hearing isn't exactly what we we're hoping to hear. But it is really important to remember that that is how we can be effective. Is if we keep the lines of communication open, if we um, you know are able to give them that space and know that you know they might possibly make a few mistakes along the way, but that is still just like when they were little and they're trying to struggle to tie their shoes and things of that nature, they are very much still figuring out their place in the world and their relationship to uh, everything that is going on for them in their lives. So the most effective way is just, if there's opportunities, whether through watching a television show together and maybe there's you no know, situation, or maybe it's a friend of the families or something that is happening to your family, just sit down and talk with them and explore and kind of share your viewpoint and why you feel the way you do and invite them to share how they feel and just, just really do it in the form of a discussion. And um, especially when the parents share and and seem really confident. Cause like you said earlier, kids really pick up on a lot of the vibes that parents give off. So whether it's anxiety, whether it's stress, whether it's, you know, anger or whether it's love, like they, they will always kind of tune in and they will notice it's a palpable difference usually in the environment for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the best thing that parents can do is just really you know, honestly and openly have a discussion. And if they don't know something that's perfectly fine, maybe that's a great opportunity to explore that together. Like go and look it up or, you know, read up about it and and kind of discuss it and explore it together. Those are really powerful ways to teach them that it's okay not to know everything, that you yourself don't know everything. I remember my mom being a Russian immigrant. Um, I remember my mom, later admitted to me that when I was younger and I would come to her with questions as a teenager, she always felt that she had to come off as very stoic and that she had all the answers and that she could never have me see her as having flaws. And it's so interesting because honestly, all I ever wanted was for her to just be human and share with me that she also had struggled with some of the same Um, stuff, which is, you know, relationships and all of the complex, you know, stuff that comes along (laughs) with being a teenager and navigating the day to day. And it really is, it's so effective when we're allowed, when we allow our kids to see us as just a human being and that we're not perfect, we don't have all the answers, but that we do have experience to offer and we, you know, and why and how we arrived at whatever standpoint that we have. And it it just helps them to kind of uh, stand more firm and more uh, confident in how they approach their reasoning, right? And it kind of invites them and encourages them to have reasons for for why they make up their mind one way or another, rather than, uh, you know, just kind of going with the flow. They're so so uh, easily influenced by their peers, and they so badly want to fit in. And there's almost an expectation around it. And... Um, what I found with my kiddo is actually empowering her to have the reasoning and the rationale has been extremely, extremely important for her and her journey because now she can notice when things aren't quite in alignment as far as the reasoning of others around her. And she's, she's less likely to Uh, make decisions based on just because, you know, so-and-so said that that's what they're going to do or because there's an expectation and it is hard. And I think it's hard for all of us to, you know, I think even as adults, we struggle sometimes, right? Like it's very easy to uh, get caught up in a particular either emotion or a standpoint. So being able to teach them early on that that's something that they're going to have to reassess and learn where they stand with things and learn how to maneuver that is a really Um, incredibly wonderful and important skill that we can teach them
0: definitely and as as you were talking I was thinking about some of the really difficult times that our teenagers are going through and especially with the fact anxiety is at an all-time high when they're younger just having that place or space where our kids feel comfortable to come to us And I know that as they get older, they're going to think things like, well, you don't understand. And I never really understood that until one of my friends who's a superintendent said, I want you to watch the Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why. Mm -hmm. And you'll just get a perspective that's different because we did not grow up in these times. And I completely saw what he meant, why he wanted me to see it. Um, and I would understand why a teen would say, you don't understand because no, we don't understand. We, we're not living in a world where a picture can go up on social media and change somebody's world. Mm-hmm. So um, how do you keep that communication gap th- that's there open so that our teens would feel comfortable enough to come and say, I need help, I'm yeah. in a scenario because I, I just didn't see any teen in that series feeling that their parents were anywhere near able to help.
1: Absolutely. I think like I had mentioned um, a little bit is that, you know, taking the initiative to share, right, mm-hmm. that creates so much trust and that mm-hmm. creates the um, humanness, right? Mm-hmm. So the more that we're able to share our own, um, I don't want to say struggles because it's, it's a, right? It's a fine line. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly struggles, but it's a fine line how much, because we, we definitely don't want to bring kids into adult pro- problems. That's, that's important to maintain that boundary. Um, but just kind of giving a taste or maybe their uh, stories or anecdotes that we remember from when we were young, things like that. Um, Just being able to share some of our own experiences and and how that went for us and what we did and why we did that and how we feel about our choice, right? Because maybe we regretted whatever it was that we had done, but just being able to share that is so important. And it makes us um, human. And the fact that we're willing to share is going to encourage them to share because they feel that we trust them the way that we're hoping they will trust us. Right. And sometimes just saying, well, come to me if you have questions with some of those difficult conversations, it's just not enough. And if it also sends a message, uh, if we're uncomfortable with a topic or a subject, kids sense it and they know Mm -hmm. and they know and tell all their friends and they're not going to come to us because they already know that's off limits. Mom's never Ah. going to be okay with that or dad's not okay with it or I'll get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, I think it's, you know, it's imp- I think the thing that might help us to keep grounded in, in staying calm in those situations and around those topics is um, would we rather them come to us and know that they're going to get really good advice or would we rather them be scared and not want to get in trouble, and then go to their friends and, you know, not get good advice, or who knows, right? Like, who knows what kinds of decisions they're going to make around whatever it is that they're struggling with. So I think that's a really kind of sobering, but really powerful thing to keep in the back of one's mind when trying to establish some of the boundaries around what is and is not okay, and how to invite conversations, right? I mean, like I said, one great way to, to do it, if, if you want to stay a little bit more neutral, is just look for maybe a show or maybe a film that deals with a particular scenario. And then just sort of, um, you know, discuss that. What worked with my daughter uh, a lot for many, many years. And my husband, my fiance and I would do this all the time is we would um, take a scenario and then we would go down the, the train of thought of each possible option of what you would do and how that would go. And so we would, yeah, if
0: you do this, this happens.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just kind of draw like mentally draw like a little map and here's your options. And this is what will most likely happen if you go down this road and, and kind of just give her an idea and we would do that quite a bit and I found it really effective Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: eventually it starts to sink in and they start to draw, you know, the dots together. Um, Because
0: their brains aren't fully developed yet. So they don't have that forethought of mm -hmm. consequences.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And especially if you add that anxiety and worry to it, I mean, our brain, like uh, our core, uh, our brainstem, which is where a lot of those, those uh, feelings and emotions are kept. Like it separates from the part of our brain that has any logic that has developed there. So, so it's, Already, you know, they're kind of set up for an adverse um, possibility of even being able to arrive at that conclusion. So, yeah, for sure, just being able to kind of take it bite size and walk them through and as many examples as possible. Um, you know, within, like I said, within reason, and bearing in mind the age of the child, of course, because certainly if you're gonna have a little one, and mind you, there's many, many fantastic resources and books to help us talk through any potential thing that could be going on, um, which I strongly encourage that parents definitely check out. Uh, That's one of the wonderful things about the world that we live in today, is there's so Mm -hmm. much access to really great resources. Um, But yeah, I, I would strongly encourage go ahead and start to have those conversations and conversations about relationships and social boundaries, both physical and emotional boundaries. All of that is huge for kiddos, especially adolescents. It's a really confusing and difficult time and it's so easy to get wrapped up in things and they meant one thing and suddenly it's blown out of proportion and just talking through as much as possible. making it safe for them. As soon as they're gonna feel the rigidity or kind of anger, they're gonna be thrown into like the fear state and it's gonna be an automatic no and they're gonna shut down. And if a parent knows that they're not able to handle it, that's okay, but maybe they can identify somebody in their family or in their circles who, who is okay with those conversations. So maybe it's an aunt or an uncle or a best friend, just somebody who, can, who they can go to that they know will give them really good advice.
0: I think that's key because uh, with this whole isolation thing, we even feel it more because we are living in a state where we don't have our families uh, around us. But that I remember being so powerful for you know your kids to have another adult that they could ask a question of or get a different perspective of.
1: Absolutely. But I think we are also really lucky because we have things like FaceTime and Zoom, right? And I think um, our are making use of those resources is so enormously powerful. And even in these times, like I was going to mention, um, as we are considering scheduling blocks for kiddos, making sure that they are still scheduling time, like with my daughter I have to on chart to remember, but making sure that they are scheduling those, those dates with their friends. And I think actually, Uh, these types of one-on-one where they can see each other is so Mm -hmm. powerful and it helps them to practice communication skills, which to be honest, there's not many opportunities in a way for kids to do because they're so busy um, and, or the preferred method for them to communicate now is texting or some Mm -hmm. sort of social media that involves typing. um, It's hard to have a full fledged conversation. So, um, you know, the fact that we are able to slow down now and there are these moments where they can, have a conversation and just sort of hang out and just be with another person and have an opportunity to get to know them more or share more is it can also be extremely powerful too so I would strongly suggest making use of those resources
0: well these have been very powerful tips Maria thank you so much for spending your time on this much-needed topic if anyone wants to contact you and learn more about your services is the best place to go to your website restorativeparentcoaching.com
1: that's exactly right yeah.
0: perfect And you offer a free consultation for anyone who wants to learn more about your programs and services here they can fill in a form to contact you
1: yes absolutely and I strongly encourage that um, people who are either looking to connect with me or looking for you know mental health or emotional support services that they do um, for sure speak to the provider because I think, I think one of the key uh, important pieces for it to be effective is uh, making sure that they're with, on the same page with the individual, both from a value perspective and that they feel comfortable. So yeah, <laughs> just my last tidbit <laughs> that Absolutely. I like to get out there. I think that's so, so critically important and will drastically imp- uh, make or break uh, an experience that one were to have with these kinds of services.
0: Well, thank you so much. These are important tips, and I know we can all use them at any age, whether we have a young child or a teen. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Thank you.